There are a lot of craft beer tap rooms in the Cincinnati area. There are garages and farmhouses, one that has housed its city's bravest, and one that has arguably housed the city's holiest. But with all due respect to the rest of those, there is only one palace of Cincinnati craft beer, and we're here tonight live from the Moorline Lager House on Cincinnati's Riverfront. Welcome to this special edition of Cincy Brewcast. My name is Mike Cisneros, and welcome to our special live edition of Cincy Brewgast here at the Moorline Lager House. Act like you like it here. I think it's one of the, it's the best places in town. I am joined once again by my co-host, the Gnarly No, and the man who is synonymous from Anonymous, the man from anywhere and nowhere at the same time, from the GnarlyGnome.com. Gnome, welcome. Thanks. Cheers. And the queen of Cincinnati craft beer commentary from Overlook Lodge in Pleasant Ridge. Tina Cisneros, ahoy, ahoy. Ahoy, ahoy. And sitting in for Angie Cisneros tonight on social media is Nancy Cisneros. Angie could not be here tonight, but Nancy is checking out everything, Periscope and Twitter and Facebook. Nancy, hello to you. Just give us a nod because she doesn't have a mic. <laughs> she yells loud enough over here. <laughs> we can share. We, we, as I said in the open, we are here at the Moorline Logger House on Cincinnati's Riverfront. What an absolute honor to be here, and the, the, the men who are responsible for that are here tonight, every last one of them. Uh, first of all, uh, from the Moorline Logger House, the owner, the man who's had this incredible vision down here uh, next to the beautiful Ohio River, Greg Hardman. Greg, thank you for letting us ha have your place tonight, and welcome to Cincy Brewcast. Thank you. And uh, his... Uh, I guess second in command or whatever you might want to call him. I'll take uh, that. The uh, head brewer of uh, Christian Moorline Brewing Company, uh, Eric Bauman. Eric, welcome to Cincy Brewcast. Thank you and prost. Prost to you. And the, the reason we're here, it's pretty interesting. We had a, there's a, a little uh, Facebook group. I don't know. There might be, oh, I don't know, 30 or 40 members of it called the Greater Cincinnati Craft Beer Society. Greg's a member. And two of our guests that we're going to have later are members. And we were having sort of a debate. I don't know if it was if it was mean-spirited or what it was, but we were having debate and it was going so well online that Greg said, "Why don't you guys come down to the logger house and we'll hash this all out together." So joining us later and sitting in on the panel for right now are uh, Eddie Shimmy and uh, Chris Nascimento from the Greater Cincinnati Craft Beer Society, and we'd like to welcome you guys tonight and uh, We'll get, we'll get to all of that later because that's almost a whole separate show, but we didn't want to come into Moorline tonight uh, without first giving uh, Greg and Eric and this beautiful facility down here uh, its due. Uh, we are going to be tasting uh, from the beer fridge uh, here in just a few moments and actually from the delicious Moorline taps. We've got four of their seasonal beers coming and we're going to taste through them with Eric and Greg. But um, let me get started with uh, just introducing Greg. He's a 1984 graduate of Ohio University, which I did not know. You've got a Bobcat, a Bobcat. My son's a Bobcat, and the one that's not here is a Bobcat. So there's a bunch of Bobcats. Uh, Warsteiner Brewing for 17 years. 
rose all the way to the North American sales manager, is that correct? North American, president of North American sales? Yeah, and and uh, so and then 2004, you left Warsteiner, you got this incredible vision first of all to resurrect the Cincinnati classic beer brands, including Christian Moorline, Utapol, Shaneling, uh, even even all the way like to, to Top Hat and Red Top and all those different brands, uh, and then. In February 2012, you opened this building. Um, this was going to be a little bit later, but we're waiting for the beers. So I f figured I'd ask you, how how did it come about down here, uh, and and what was the you know what was the the main impetus, the main focus of a why you wanted to be on the riverfront, which is fairly obvious, but how you got it done when just a block up the street. They weren't getting anything done. And that was a whole thing up there to me, the banks, that I was going to believe it when I saw it. So what was it that kind of brought it about down here? Well, originally uh, I had a four-phase plan to basically my version of returning Cincinnati's grand brewing traditions. And uh, I had worked for uh, Varsteiner, as you mentioned, for 17 years and had a great run at it. Uh, started out as a, you know, a salesman on the street and made my way all the way up to uh, president and CEO of uh, North American Operations. But uh, uh, what I did was uh, I put a four-phase plan together to uh, bring Cincinnati's grand brewing traditions back. The first phase was to uh, bring the local ownership back of Christian Moorline because uh, a lot of people uh, didn't realize it, but uh, um, when Sam Adams bought the facility, uh, they, they, they uh, lost their... Um, production rights at the facility uh, through a, a new ownership group and they moved the brewing out of town uh, to to uh, Maryland uh, to uh, uh, the Wild Goose Brewery of, uh, of, of Maryland and uh, <clears throat> basically uh, um, it was just one of these things where I felt like if I could ever write that wrong I would do something about it so I had a four-phase plan bring the local ownership back second phase was to uh, reposition the brands to make them more relevant to today's consumers. Uh, the third phase was to uh, open uh, local brewing operations here in Cincinnati. And uh, we did that in 2010 uh, at our current facility in Over the Rhine uh, at 1621 Moore Street. And uh, we uh, had a pilot brewery, uh, brewery up there. And we developed a lot of the recipes that, that we used. And then uh, in uh, February of 2012, uh, the fourth phase was to open the Moorline Logger House. And uh, how this facility all came about here was I had been looking for places in the banks, which is were adjacent to the banks by about five feet. Right, and, uh, about and, a block north or half uh, of, not five feet north. I actually, guess. that uh, little fence right, right okay, out yeah. that door right there <laughs> is the banks. Right. And uh, uh, I was reading, uh, uh, I, 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 I I was introduced to uh, an RFP uh, request for proposal that uh, was looking for uh, a restaurant to be built in, in River, Cincinnati Riverfront Park. And uh, someone pointed me to the RFP and they said, uh, you know, it's going to be located between two stadiums, unobstructed views to the riverfront, right next to Great American Ballpark. You know, would you be interested? <laughs> I said, yeah, we're, well, when's the proposal due? And this was on a Friday at 4 o'clock, and they said, well, Monday at 4 o'clock. Wow. 
So uh, that weekend, I went to uh, uh, one of my uh, uh, friends who happens to be an investment banker, and uh, we looked at the RFP, and it said, you know, you had to be a restaurant operator. Well, I had right. never, I, I don't even think I operated a hot dog stand my whole <laughs> life. And uh, so he said, geez, you got a couple of things here. It's like, uh, you know, you, you, had to, you had to have a liquid net worth of like $4 million, and I didn't have that at the right, time either. Right. But I had a lot of friends who had money, and uh, you had to be a restaurant operator. Bottom line was uh, uh, I put a proposal together. Um, I did get a restaurant operator over the weekend, and I had a buddy of mine uh, put the money up, and off we went. And, you know, we won the proposal. You have nice friends. Investment <laughs> <laughs> bankers, restaurant owners. Uh, and, and the funny thing is, everybody that was involved in it originally, uh, they were all like, we don't want to own a restaurant. We do not right, want to own right, a restaurant. Right. It's like, you know, and we don't we, we love you, but you know, and, and we love the location, but you know, this is your baby, man. We're just doing it because we want to make this happen for you uh, and everything. And uh, that, that's that's a true story. That, that's amazing. And and how much city involvement was was there because we know that right now, you know, you have to go salute the mayor and everything else to to get, you know, to get your permits and your licensing and your you know all well, what's, that it, what's interesting is is that we are in uh smale riverfront park uh so they have uh, uh they have a separate charter than the city so actually ah. i only had the deal with the cincinnati park board uh for this site uh now there's a uh, there is a city oversight but uh, i worked hand in hand with the cincinnati park board and their architects to uh, develop the site. One of the things they wanted was to have this be a LEED certified uh, building and uh, we not only made it a LEED certified uh, uh, restaurant, but we made it a LEED certified brewery. A lot of people don't know that about oh, this facility right here. Right. Uh, we are LEED certified. And uh, so we worked hand in hand with them, uh, as well as working hand in hand with them on uh, uh, all of the uh, stone that you see and the granite and, you know, all of the detail uh, they we walked hand in hand and arm in arm uh with the park board because they wanted to make sure that if they were going to give up a site like this they wanted to have it be world class and uh one of the contingencies was uh they wanted to make sure it was a, a you know a, a world class uh restaurant and brewery and and uh we told them that we would do it and uh we've worked together with them to make that happen so you you guys were smell park before there was a smell park because it, we realized everybody knows just over this last year and a half, there's been a lot of activity down here. They got as much of it done as they could before the All-Star game. But you guys were the first element, which I, I don't know that a lot of people in Cincinnati really know that. I, you know, it was a real risk. And uh, we, we, we did uh, um, work with a lot of people that we said, look, if you get involved with us, I'm bringing this to life. You know, do it because you love Cincinnati, because I'm not going to promise they're going to finish the banks. You know, at the time, right. and I said, "Well, do it because we feel like we can be a catalyst, a beacon for Cincinnati's, you know, brewing future, and as well as uh, a beacon for economic growth in this area." But I can't promise you they're going to finish this, and uh, I felt very strongly that they were going to finish the park uh, and, and everything, and, and that was just spectacular. And all you have to do is come down here and walk the park and see how great it is, and. And, and, and everything, but uh, I, I just couldn't promise about the rest of it. And yeah, I was never, I was always one that was, I'll believe it when I see it, about the banks. 
and I was I was I was one of the people that was really surprised that anything ever got done there. I, you know, I thought there was nothing that was going to ever get done there, and you guys were going to be down here all by yourself, which might have been all right with you. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, they they say they say rising tides lift all ships, and we were we were hoping everything else would be getting developed. It's been four years later. Uh, actually, our fourth anniversary is coming up, and only now are they putting in the hotel right next door. Right, right. So. Taking a little, little bit of time. Yeah, it's 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 been an unbelievable development down here. Obviously, the All Star Game must have been great for you guys last year. You had Mike and Mike uh, radio show in here for what two days, and it just so much activity and so much action down here. Uh, it's just well, amazing. It, it, there's a funny side note about that story. Mike and Mike uh, is uh, on ESPN, and that's uh, um, part of uh, Disney. And uh, the folks from uh, ESPN came out, and uh, and uh, the, they they were looking at sites around town to hold the uh, uh, the show, and they wanted to have a great backdrop and everything. And uh, so before they left, they, they they walked over to me and they said, "Hey, can you have that brewmaster Eric? Uh, bon- uh, you know, can he brew us a beer, <laughs> yeah. one for each mic?" Yeah. And we were like, "Absolutely," you know. But uh, they they really cared about uh, making sure that they. Uh, they had a different brew. What, what, uh, uh, Mike Golick uh, didn't like hoppy beers, and the other one did, and it was kind of so. We made one that was uh, uh, a lager, and one that was uh, uh, more uh, uh, hoppy. Yeah, hoppy ale. Yeah, hoppy red ale. Excellent, um, Eric. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, by way of introduction, uh, you went to Muller High School. I did. So I love that. So did I. <laughs> so put a paw right there, All right. All fellow right. Crusaders. <laughs> Obviously, you're doing a lot better than I am. <laughs> uh, you you uh, worked at uh, many great craft breweries, including, including Grand Teton, uh, Uinta, Oscar Blues, uh, and you started here in 2014. Congratulations. It's got to be kind of a dream come true for you as well to come in here to a hometown brewery, a hometown place like uh, Moorline Lager House and Christian Moorline Brewing and become a, such a big part of it. Yeah, it's been great. It's been beautiful. When you, when you took over here, what was it aside from that that was the kind of, uh, you know, that kind of sold it to you? Because you know those other breweries, especially like Uinta and Oscar Blues, are very, you know, very big national footprint. Uh, what, what was it aside from coming to Cincinnati that really turned you on about coming to Christian Moorline and, and joining with Greg? Yeah, um, you know, when I first started um, brewing, it was all about getting my foot in the door and. Just finding an opportunity where I could express myself and, and be a part of the craft brewing world about 12 years ago. And, uh, you know, as I worked for different breweries, um, what I started to look for was where could I have the biggest impact and uh, make the biggest presence known. Um, so, you know, things like when I was working with Uinta, I looked at breweries like Oscar Blues, and I knew that they were a certain size at a certain point in time where somebody like me with my experience could really have a big impact. And I rode the Oscar Blues wave for about seven years, and it was a good wave. And the the whole time, though, I kept looking back to Cincinnati and where I came from and my roots. And I was just waiting, basically, for the right brewery at the right time to come along and say, hey, Eric, like, it's your time to come back to Cincinnati and, uh, you know, put all that effort and knowledge and expertise into a brewery that I felt was really poised at the right time to do the right things. And for me, what, what Greg's vision is and was, uh, for me, was the right time to, to come on board. So 
for me, it was a, a matter of timing and the right timing to come back to my home city of Cincinnati. Well, you know, there's there's an establishment of a lot of you know of the great core beers here. I love the Northern Liberties. I love the OTR, uh, and then. What we have in front of us here, as far as the flights are concerned, are four of your seasonal ales, and I'm really interested to get uh, into uh, these beers and taste through them with you guys and find out what you guys think and what your ideas were on, uh, on the beers, and we'll do that uh, right after this. You're listening to Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. Hi, Mike Cisneros here with a word about Brewhouse Dog Bones. By now, craft beer fans all over Cincy know the distinctive brown paper sack with a big red bone. You've seen it in great breweries like Mount Carmel, Listerman's, Rheingeist, Eight Ball, Braxton, and more. At just five bucks a bag, you know you can't find a more healthful or delicious treat for your best friend made from spent brewery grains, organic eggs, peanut butter, and brown rice flour. But did you know that Brewhouse Dog Bones is an educational program for developmentally disabled teens and young adults? It's available through the New Richmond, Cincinnati Public, Fort Thomas Public, Sycamore, Oak Hills, and many more school districts across Southwest Ohio and Northern Kentucky. For more information on where to find Brewhouse Dog Bones, or how to get your developmentally disabled loved one or your school district involved in the Brewhouse Dog Bones program, contact Lisa Graham at area code 513-520-0310 or visit www.brewhousedogbones.com. Give your dog the craft experience with Brewhouse Dog Bones. This is Steve Shaw. This is Eric Bosler. Hi, my name is Gamal Nagy. Hey, y'all. This is Sean Willingham. This is Brett Coleman-Baker. Hi, I'm Scott LaFollette. Hi, this is Evan Rouse. Cellar Dweller Craft Beers. Darkness Brewing. Rivertown Brewing Company. Municipal Brew Works. Urban Artifact Brewing. Blank Slate Brewing. Braxton Brewing Company in Covington, Kentucky. In Cincinnati. In Northside. In Hamilton, Ohio. Bellevue, Kentucky. Mar, Ohio. You're listening to Cincy Brewcast. Cincy Brewcast. And you're listening to Cincy Brewcast. The voice. The voice. The voice of Cincy Craft. <laughs> Hey again, everybody. Mike Cisneros back with you. We would like to thank Shane Brammer for contributing $25 to our GoFundMe campaign. He is a great friend of our program and to the craft beer and homebrewing communities here in Cincinnati. He's also been a guest host and a regular guest on Cincy Brewcast. And you, too, can be a big part of the voice of Cincy Craft by making your own contribution to our GoFundMe campaign by, by visiting www.gofundme.com slash cincybrewcast and making a contribution. You'll help us continue to bring quality craft beer news and commentary to Cincinnati and beyond. And the contributions at a $100 or above level will be able to join the Cincy Brewcast team. Yes, the Gnome, Tina, and myself uh, right here to host a future program. Contributions can also be made anonymously. Just click the hide name box on the first page of the donation screen. That's www.gofundme.com slash Cincy Brewcast. Donate today and thanks for your support of Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. Uh, we're joined again by Greg Hardman, uh, Eric Bauman, uh, Eddie Shimmy, and Chris Nascimento. From, and the last two guys are from Greater Cincinnati Craft Beer Society. And Greg mentions he's got a little cold, so we're going to have Chris tasting through some of the uh, Christian Warline beers uh, that we have in front of us today. And so we will take a reach into and find out what we can pull from the beer fridge. Gnome, you're all over it. Uh, you know what? We need Gnome one. Doesn't, Gnome doesn't have any Gnome's beer. Gnome's all over, but he doesn't have any beer. 
so we need a couple more flights, one for Tina and one for uh, no, the gnome we're here. We're splitting. Oh, you're going to split. So yeah, just two. One for one. Yeah. One. We need one more flight of seasonal. All right, cool. Well, he one. Needs one. It's one. He needs one. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Do we That's need all one we need. Oh, you have one. We're sharing. Yes. I'm glad we can edit this. Just one. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's the internet. We can do what we want. <laughs> I know we've got it. Just be quiet. What do you think? You're the showrunner. I was listening. <clears throat> Periscope is calling listening. for flights too. Hey, if I wanted this kind of use, I could have stayed home. <laughs> well, it's not too late. Go ahead. What did everybody do this well, weekend while so we're uh, waiting around? What is what is in our flight? Let's start with that. What's in the oh, flight? Okay. This is, the first one is the pills. Yep. Uh, here we have the people's pills. Um, <laughs> give us a little description. Give us a little description just from the top. You know, if you got okay. it on the top yeah, of your yeah, head, and uh, you some know, of the uh, some of the particulars, ABV and IBU sure. and all that stuff. Yeah, it's sitting around like five five point two percent. Really like uh, low IBUs. Uh, I mean, you know, compared to an ale, it's like. Probably around like 20, 25 IBUs, uh, but really um, we we showcased uh, Pilsner malt in here, uh, Idaho Pils, which is actually grown in Idaho. Wow. So it's a really good Idaho Pilsner malt. Uh, it's a little more biscuity, crackery, uh, and then uh, we also threw a lot of German Noble hops in there. So we got Herzbrucker, um, some Tetning, and then also uh, some Czechoslovakian hops, uh, Czech saws in there. So basically, we called it the People's Pills because we figured it's everybody's Pilsner to drink. Let's hit it. I like I like a nice Pilsner. Always have. You'll you'll never get me to to turn my back on this beer. It's, it was the first really, you know, international type or or first real variety. Other than light lager that I'd ever had, and and it's just it's it's fan, it's it, it's always fantastic, and this is wonderful. I like I like the little sweetness it's got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got a little sweetness. Um, it's not overly bitter as you might find in some of the more northern German pills, uh, but it's it's got a decent amount of bitterness, but also really easy drinking. Absolutely, and at five point two, you better be careful. Yeah. <laughs> Five point two. That's not bad. Yeah. You wouldn't want to throw back a half a dozen of these though on a hot afternoon. I wouldn't think. I'd certainly like to try though. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> I don't think it would be a problem. Be I don't hel- know about you. That'd be a hell of a way to go. I'll tell you that. Cool. What's this next? next one looks really interesting. It's really cloudy and. Yeah. So this really one's nice. uh, completely unfiltered. Um, it's our uh, little Jack Plum beer, and uh, uh, you know we actually added. It was, uh, technically speaking, like a 15-barrel batch of beer, uh, but we actually added two and a half barrels worth of plum puree from uh, Oregon Fruits, and uh, it actually adds a lot of uh, sugar to it, but the sugars were fermented out. Uh, so kind of the angle here, honestly, was looking at your traditional Berliner Weiss, and without doing like a sour mash, uh, we actually wanted to take the acidulated uh, malt that Weyermann Malting makes and use that in the mash. So we actually use acidulated malt in the what mash. What does that mean? I mean, can you tell me so, what that means in, you know, somebody that flunked science at Mahler? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... In terms of that, <laughs> of that sort. So, so there's a certain level of pH um, that we monitor. Uh, most drinkable beer 
uh, is between 4.5, 4.6, maybe here and there, uh, the range for drinkable beer. Um, we actually uh, brought this down to about a 3.8 pH, um, which actually gives it a little bit of tartness. Uh, but not so much of that sour that it's going to take the enamel off your teeth kind of sour. Uh-huh. Uh, but more like a refreshing, crisp kind of tartness to it. Um, so this was kind of a throw at a, a Blunderweiss, but using the, the malt instead of actually acidifying the mash. Um, which could be done with more like wild yeast or bacterial things. It's, it's fantastic. It, 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 yeah, it's I, I love it. I mean, I think I think it's terrific. And is this, and Greg, you can answer this too, uh, because I'm sure you know what it tastes like, even though you're not having it now. Is this kind of a response to the sour, tart, goza, sort of? Is it, is, it, is it something you guys have always wanted to do here, or is it something that's kind of in response to the trend? Or uh, I would say it is. Well, well, Eric's been wanting to do a Berliner Weiss since the day he walked in the door. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and Periscope, uh, and Periscope wanted to clarify this is not available anywhere else besides the Lager House, right? That is correct. Well, it's awesome. Um, but, you know, it's a very simplified way to get the uh, similar flavors you would get out of, like, your traditional sours or blender vices. And then, you know, it's traditional in Germany to add mm-hmm. syrups to Berliner Weiss, mm-hmm. but you've sort of already done that with this particular... Correct, yeah. We with this particular beer with using the fruit and so forth in it. Yeah, it was a, it was a very uh, pure, aseptic, clean... When I say septic, very uh, non-bacterial uh, form of uh, fruit. So, you know, instead of people adding the fruit to their glass and Berliner Weisses, we put it in there for you, and it gave it more of a drinkable Berliner Weiss. Well, it's delicious. Man, that is so good. Everybody needs to get down here and get I don't have to worry about the heartburn either. No. Oh, yeah. No. And then, I love the name of this beer, Crimea River. Yeah. <laughs> And it's a uh, it's it's a it's a Russian Imperial, which is one of my favorite styles. Yeah, this uh, this is a great beer, and this is um, you know exemplary to what we do um, here at the brewery. But we we like to let all the other brewers have their uh, own uh, touch on the beer as well. Um, this beer was designed by Kelly, uh, one of the brewers here at the Logger House. Um, this was his throw at, at the uh, Russian Imperial style of beer. Um, so what you're gonna get is a lot of heavy notes. Of dark malts, uh, but actually, it drinks pretty drinkable for an eight and a half percent beer. Yeah, a, a little, uh, a little coffee. I get a little like smokiness. Mm-hmm. A little smokiness. Yeah, no, I'm and I'm also fighting a cold a little bit, so my taste might be off a tiny bit. But to me, it when I first started, and it might be that it's it's a little cold too, but it came out really, really drinkable at first, almost lagerish, and then after just a little second there, then all that dark, roasty, chocolatey notes kind of came in for me, and uh, mm-hmm. this is the dangerous one. Forget the Pilsner. Yeah, and you know, um, for me, like, lager brewing, like, I read a lot about lager brewing, like, um, for me, Gregory Newman, um, I read read his lagering brewing volume one and two, and what I realized was if you can brew a really clean lager beer, you can almost brew any beer in the world because uh, after brewing lager beer, hiding no flaws, you can brew almost anything. And so for me, this Crimea is exemplary of that. Like, if you know how to brew really clean lager beer, you can make really high alcohol beer and make it taste like a lager. Yeah. And, 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 and or make it taste like an excellent Russian Imperial style, which is what uh-huh. this is. Very good. And then the last one we've got is, 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 is which one? This one's this is- the uh, Shiver. 
It's actually uh, like a traditional porter, um, but we actually took uh, chai spices for Indian tea and actually infused it into this beer. So we let the uh, the primary beer, the porter, ferment out, and then we actually took about nine different spices, blended them together with a uh, like a little blender you would get um, for your coffee. Uh, let it seep for about an hour in the beer and then uh, inject like a French, it in. Like yeah. a French press? Yeah, so we kind of French pressed it and then uh, kind of made more of an extract of those tea and spice blends and then put it right back into the beer after it was done fermenting. And um, That way you get mo- most of the uh, aromatics and flavors of all the spices that's not driven out through all the <laughs> fermentation. So at the end of the day, you have like a nice, really good roasty porter but over the top with a lot of the chai spices. Mm-hmm. And I like so. the, it's you can taste the spices, but it's not sweet, really. Uh-huh. It's not like overly sweet, which is something that I don't tend to enjoy in the like spice beers. So I really like it a lot. I think it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's still, it still comes off real real drinkable again for me, which I hate that word, but it's it's a really good description for how, you know, it's it's still... It's still a beer. It's not about this this big spice bomb and just you know drinking tea. It's it's a beer that that has tea in it. What do you like to brew? Just about anything and everything. What kind of you know? What you talked about brewing lagers, and and is that a means to an end, or are you really a lager beer guy? Or I mean, what you know? What is it that sort of motivates you to develop these recipes and you know? what kind of ideas do you get and what's kind of coming down the road and one thing I like to ask brewers is is there something that you haven't brewed yet that you'd like to try or that you'd like to brew if this guy will ever let you you know uh, if take off the take off the uh, reins if you will <laughs> oh man that's well that's a really difficult question uh, because you know on one hand I'm very practical I'm very practical brewer I'm very consistency and quality oriented so for me a good quality product uh, done to consistency and the specifications that we always have is hallmark to me. So, so for me, like there's that one aspect, uh, but then there's also the creative aspect. Uh, but for me, uh, what we do is uh, we exemplify the American form of brewing beer, and that's taking tradition and then turning it on its head, doing it the American way, the way we want to do it, and making creative beers. So, you know, you take like beer like the Shiver. Uh, it's a very traditional porter recipe, but we went and we took like chai spices and threw it in it. Uh, we took uh, a beer like the tart plum beer. We took a very traditional plum beer, but then used acidulated malts and different things to, to make it a more complex beer. So, um, you know, I'm very consistency and numbers oriented, uh, but I also like creativeness. Uh, but I guess taking the old and the new and, and making your own is, is kind of the fun part. That's it's fun it's, for us, too. Yeah, it's fun <laughs> for all the drinkers out there and the people that love craft beer in Cincinnati. Uh, so that is... From the Beer Fridge. And we will be back to talk more with Greg Hardman and Eric Bauman of, um, of Moorline Lagerhouse and Christian Moorline Brewing Company right after this on Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. Hi fans, I'm gonna tell you about the new apparel supplier to Cincy Brewcast, Pastura Screen Print. Mario Pastura has built his family business with the craft beer movement in mind. 
They've done custom items for old firehouse listermen and many more. Screen printing to embroidery, Pastura Screen Print has the answers for your custom apparel and marketing needs. Contact Mario or any of the pros at Pastura Screen Print at 513-550-2271 by email at pastura.screenprint at gmail.com and coming soon at www.pasturascreenprint.com. The craft of custom apparel is Pastura Screen Print. I mean, you can dream, oh, yeah, we're going to be this, you know, have 30-barrel brew house with 90-barrel fermenters and all that. I, I just don't want to, I mean, I got to focus on what making great beers on a smaller level and do the small things that I can do and do them right. Um, I, look at, I look at the Bud Light drinkers out there as a, you know, a forest and harvest. They're all out there and... and they don't know any better yet, but they will. You don't. You don't ever hear somebody say, "Yeah, I used to drink that craft beer crap." But I, <laughs> I went back to my Bud Light. You don't hear that, do you? No, you don't. You are listening to Cincy Breakfast, the voice of Cincy Craft. Mike Cisneros back here on Cincy Brewcast. Be sure to join us for our next live edition of Cincy Brewcast, emanating from about about a mile, I think, downriver actually. On beautiful, or upriver rather, um, in beautiful Bellevue, Kentucky, at Eight Ball Brewing inside the Party Source on Riviera Drive. We'll be in the tap room at Eight Ball on February 15th, 2016, beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for our live program and our live Periscope TV feed. We'll be joined by head brewer Mitch Darty, Party Source Beer Department Manager Danny Gold, and the Dean of Cincy Craft Tap Rooms, Eight Ball's Bar Manager, none other than the inimitable. James Peanut Kales. Uh, we'll take, we'll taste and comment on many of Eight Ball's beers and find out what makes Eight Ball and the beer program at the Party Source tick. And we'll get their take on the craft beer explosion in the Cincinnati area and their part in it. Again, that's Monday night, February 15th, 2016, 8 p.m. at Eight Ball Brewing inside the Party Source in Bellevue, Kentucky, for our next live edition of Cincy Brewcast, The Voice of Cincy Craft. Again, Mike Cisneros back with you. The gnarly gnome, Tina Cisneros, Nancy Cisneros, Greg Hartman, Eric Bauman, uh, Eddie Shimmy, and Chris Nascimento. And um, what do you guys, what do you guys think of the Cincinnati craft beer explosion? Greg, I mean, and and what do you think? Were you at the, were you at the beginning of it? Were you kind of in the middle of it? Are you, I, I mean, what, I mean, you started in 2010 brewing here but, you know, the tradition you represent goes back over 150 years. Well, I mean, Christian Moorline came out as a pioneer craft beer of today's craft beer movement from Utapol Brewing Company back in 1981. So Cincinnati has a great tradition of, of uh, uh, bringing, you know, better beer, higher quality beer out. Uh, in 2004, when I bought Christian Moorline, I... I did it with, uh, with, with the thought of, of being able to, you know, bring back Cincinnati's grand brewing traditions and with an eye on, you know, hopefully getting more people to bring craft beer to Cincinnati because I really believe that, you know, the more of us that came about in the country, uh, um, you know, we, we have all the great heritage here and, you know, Cincinnati could be a brewing mecca. Um, and, and on the scale of uh, uh, any any place on the West Coast, and uh, that, and I just felt that we could do it here, and and uh, you know that's what motivated me. It motivated me to do that, and also to bring back uh, 
uh, all the great Cincinnati heritage beer brands uh, uh, that, uh, you know, I felt that, you know, if, if, if Yingling could make it, <laughs> and then I felt like Hootapol definitely could make it, you know, and uh, uh, I just felt that, uh, you know, there's a segment of the population that uh, really enjoys, you know, good old American lager beers. And uh, um, I just felt that we could we could be on the forefront as uh, uh, as a craft brewery at returning uh, Cincinnati's great beer brand. So, you know, I know of no other craft brewery in the nation that actually has brought back a city's heritage beer brands to the size and scale that we've done. And we do it uh, proudly to uh, celebrate Cincinnati's grand brewing traditions and also be a part of their craft future. And gives them respect. I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's other quote-unquote heritage brands that other people have brought back around the country, but nobody gives them the respect that a craft brewery can. And it's, that's what makes it fun to me, is seeing a craft brewery that says, yeah, we do, we've got this beautiful lager house on the banks and we've got this this great craft beer that we're, we're putting in stores and serving in bars and but we've got these other brands too that we still we still love and, and is part of what the city is a, a great a great sort of i don't know behind behind the scenes story from us as as far as uh the unipole pure lager uh gnome brings it by one night you know, through the show and and of course we do this when we're in the studio we have three to four beers that we taste you know in flights and, and so forth pass around the bottle and so forth but gnome's always got the little side beer that's just belongs to the gnome and uh <laughs> he he's got the Utapol pure lager and i'm like what come on what is that and he says you really have to try it you really I, i'm not kidding he said this is i wouldn't you know i wouldn't blow up your dress this is really good beer and I'm like, sure, sure, sure. So finally he says, well, just try it. And he opened, opened one up for me, and I tasted it. And I got to tell you, I was, I was absolutely amazed, impressed, floored that it was as good as it is. As it, it's as good as any craft lager, quote-unquote craft lager, that I've ever had. And I think there's a lot of credit to you guys. To, to, to be able to bring back not only the Utapol product, to, to, but to bring it back really at a quality level that it was not even at when, at, when it was at its highest in, you know, the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s when, uh, you know, I drank it and everybody drank it. It's like mother's milk around here. Uh, you know, it was probably the first beer any 16, 15, 18, 17-year-old kid drank, you know, at Moeller. Uh, <laughs> Eric never and, did that. Yeah. Always <laughs> drink responsibly and only drink when you're of age. And, and, but, you know, every, every softball league, every you know, softball game. So it's just really amazing, and you guys deserve a lot of credit for that. Well, I, th- it, that that's actually credit that goes to uh, Eric and his brewing team. I mean, the only thing that we knew that eventually we were going to move all the great Cincinnati beer brands to be brewing back in Cincinnati. You know, when I... When I bought Christian Moorline, we never lied about where we brewed the beer and why we brewed it there. If we could have brewed it here sooner, we would have. We just didn't have the money. And uh, it just comes down to, uh, you know, we knew we were going to move Utapol back here. And, you know, the only thing that we all decided was we were going to brew the best possible lager beer we could uh, at the price point that Utapol sold at. And uh, that's exactly what we did. And Eric and his team deserve all the credit. Thank you, Greg. 
Cool. Well, we just we we got a little hint this this week with another label going through the TTV, which I literally squealed out loud when I saw it that Little Kings. I saw a label that said Little Kings brewed and bottled in Cincinnati, Ohio. So, is there any kind of a hint we can get when we might see that? You don't do a $5 million brewery expansion <laughs> just not to bring a couple of things back along the way. Uh, Little Kings uh, is coming home. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, you, you, you definitely saw that from the, the TTB. And uh, we, uh, uh, we've been uh, testing it uh, for quite some time, Eric and his team, uh, right here at the Logger House, uh, as well as, uh, uh, you know, getting people's opinions on it and i'll let eric talk about it yeah you know it's it, it's kind of funny you know for me like coming back to cincinnati and brewing beer and uh, for me it's a family thing and uh i was kind of thinking about some things here while we're sitting around and uh we you know where the logger house is we're sitting right on where River, riverfront stadium used to be and uh we're on the banks here and uh you know, for me, it's like squaring up to home plate in Little League or whenever you're in your back backyard lot and you're like, you know, you're telling yourself, like, I'm like, you know, Pete Rose or Buddy Bell or anybody else sitting on home plate and I'm going to knock this thing out of the park. You know, I'm going to hit that home run. And, you know, for me, it's like being back at Moorline and doing what we're doing. We're, we're going to hit that home run. We're sitting at home plate. We're playing Little League ball. We're with our friends and we're just going to knock this thing out of the park. And that's what I really feel about with like the, doing what we're doing, bringing the brands back we're doing, and I, I really feel that like hometown sense of pride. I mean that, you know, it, and it, it sounds like overdone or hokey or something like that, but but man, it is so cool to hear guys just exude and really, really just be a part of the love that you know. I don't think a lot of people around the country uh, understand. I, you know, I mean, I think everybody loves their city that they're from. I mean, I know guys from Detroit, people from Pittsburgh, and people from, from you know, Los Angeles and places like that. But I don't think people really understand how, how Cincinnati gets in your blood. Little Kings has been around since 1958. I mean, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of places that have, like, like, a beer like that that really is part of who the city is. And, you know, you get beers like, you know, Little Kings and, and Hootie Delight and stuff like that. It's it's part of what Cincinnati is. And as, as, as big as craft beer gets, you still can't let go of that. You never will be able to. And what's really interesting, too, is uh, not only can we brew, you know, great retro American beers like Utapole and Little Kings and many, many others, but, you know, we're craft brewery and Eric and his team have such a wide range of brews they can brew uh you know from great lager beers as you you know it's not unusual to go up to the tap room or right here at the lager house and there's anywhere between four and five lager beers on tap that we brew at any one time that's highly unusual for a craft brewer uh but also uh we've been testing some uh uh really new things that uh will be coming out in in march as well uh a brand new uh uh, IPA uh, that'll be uh, uh, coming out by Moreline and uh, uh, some other uh, really cool beers that we'll be working on as well. So, you know, the, 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 the vast range of beers that we brew is just outstanding. I mean, it's, we, we were looking at it one day and there's got to be 
60, 70 recipes that wow. we actually brew wow. uh, in that range. And, you know, I, I think for a craft brewery, that's highly unusual to have that amount of versatility. Uh, Two-part question. First of all, <coughs> how, how, how did you get access to, to all the brands? And were, were, there, were there different brands that you had to get from different places, or were they all in one repository? And, and as you mentioned earlier, the Utapol sort of... The, the Utapol sort of files, and second, secondly, um, one of my favorite beers of all time was the was the '80s version of the Christian Moore line. Uh, it's called the Double Dark. Does that recipe still exist? And are there any plans to possibly make that beer ever? Please. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh... My drunken Here's beans. a $20 it, it, it bill. Is the, it is the 500th anniversary of the Ryan Heitzkabel coming up this year. Oh, there you go. And so uh, Eric Ooh. and his team has uh, uh, designed uh, the original Christian Moore line coming back. Uh, wow. uh, the first American beer to pass the German purity law, which will be coming out sometime this uh, spring. Uh, that will be coming back. So uh, we're really excited very, about that. Now, that will cool. be a limited uh, thing coming out. So... You're getting a lot of breaking news on this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Man. Now, Thank you very I, much. Jesse's probably going to kill me right now. <laughs> it's a, I know. did get a chance to try that once, and it was after it had been sitting in a flea market for about 20 years. And <laughs> uh, you lost a bet, so. huh? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it is very interesting to go back on such a good catalog of yours and to say, which one do we want to do next? I mean, it's, you know. Yeah, I mean, it really is amazing. I mean, we own... Uh, uh, upwards of uh, 70 different uh, great Cincinnati beer brands um, that, that we actually have trademarks to and that we own. But uh, you had asked the question of how it all came about. And uh, um, I didn't really get into this to return Cincinnati's great beer brands. I came into it to bring Christian Moorline back to Cincinnati. And I signed a first rate refusal for all the other great Cincinnati beer brands. Um, what I didn't realize was um, my first intention was to bring the beer brands back, uh, bring Christian Moorline back and open a small microbrewery. What I didn't realize after it was announced we were bringing the local ownership back, everybody was like, you know, you have to bring back, you know, Hootie and Burger and Little Kings. <laughs> and, you know, after two years of people knocking on the door and asking, my first right of refusal was getting violated. Uh -huh, Someone else right. bought the brewery in Maryland and all my great Cincinnati beer brands. Oh, wow. This is part of the story a lot of people aren't, aren't aware of. And uh, uh, the company that bought it was uh, actually the Flying Dog Brewing Company oh, I see. Uh, when they moved into that facility. And uh, they wanted me to, uh, uh, to buy the beer brands off of them. And, and uh, we couldn't really work out a deal. So I knew that I had a first right of refusal. And I went to court to fight for my first right of refusal and the judge said to me why are you so passionate about these beer brands and i said it's everybody in cincinnati that is and i want to help bring these beer brands back to cincinnati and you know i don't really want to own a brewery in maryland right and the right. guy and the judge said but greg you're gonna have to bid one more dollar than that guy for not only all those beer brands but that brewery in maryland because you're right i did error in judgment by get, selling the beer brands to them. 
So I looked at the guy from Flying Dog, and I said, I guess I'm going to pay one more dollar than you to get this place. And, uh-huh. uh, and, and uh, they, they literally, uh, it was like playing poker. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, they didn't call my bluff. Yeah, and, many, and, and, yeah. and I was able to get all the Cincinnati beer brands. And I, I didn't want to own a brewery in Maryland. I just right. wanted to bring all the beer, beer brands back right, here right. to redo them again. So uh, when the book comes out, that'll be a really great story <laughs> when you see the detail. Well, I think that's a, a great story because I think a lot of people don't know that story. You know, yeah. That's a part of Greg Hardman that nobody knows. You know, He's a true advocate and fighter for the Cincinnati beer brand. Well, again, we certainly appreciate you bringing us down here and allowing us to uh, taste some of your beers and uh, sit in this beautiful space. Uh, I tell anybody that cares to listen to me, people from out of town, they say, where should I go? What should I do? And I said, listen, I said, you got to go down to Moorline Logger House. I said, especially in the summertime, you got to go maybe around seven, eight o'clock and watch the sunset over the Roebling Suspension Bridge out the back window while you're drinking a beer. There is no more quintessentially Cincinnati moment that anybody can ever experience than doing that here. And it's really an amazing facility, beautiful place. Didn't know the breweries, brewery was LEED certified. Uh, and, and, you know, now that you mentioned that sort of the park board had a lot to do with the design of the place, you can tell. I mean, it's a very natural place, a lot of natural light, lots of natural stone and, and things like that. It's, it's just really a fantastic facility, and we want to thank you for letting us come by and, uh, and meeting with us and, and letting us do it. What we're going to do next, which I think might set the Cincinnati craft beer scene on its ear a little bit. Well, thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Greg Hardman and Eric Bauman from Moorline Lager House. We thank you guys very much. Yeah. And, and you guys are more than welcome to sit in for this discussion, too. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we want you to do that. And uh, so we will be right back on Cincy Brewcast. You're listening to Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. And when we come back, we'll have Eddie Shimmy and Chris Nascimento with the great debate. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's Mike, and I just wanted to remind everybody that you can follow Cincy Brewcast on all your favorite social media platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Vine at Cincy Brewcast. Plus, don't forget to download your choice of podcast app and follow us on your favorite podcast services like SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spreaker at Cincy Brewcast. Plus, we are live and interactive worldwide on Periscope TV for Apple and Android. Follow us at Cincy Brewcast. And be sure to check our social media platforms for live show dates and times. Plus, be on the lookout for show video and the new Cincy Brewcast YouTube channel. You can also leave us a Google Voice message at area code 513-601-8785. If we like it, we just might use it on the program. And last but certainly not least, you can send an email to cincybrewcast at gmail.com or utilize the Contact Us page at www.cincybrewcast.com. Get interactive with Cincy Brewcast. When we return, we'll be joined by Eddie Shimmy and Chris Nascimento from the Greater Cincinnati Craft Beer Society for a discussion of some of the biggest issues in craft beer. Questions like, should craft beer drinkers drink only lat? 
own local craft beers? Can big beer be craft brewers too? And should you even spend money on craft brewers who have been purchased by big beer? Or is it a betrayal to independent brewing? All that and much more is coming up as we continue live from Cincinnati's Beer Palace, the Moorline Lager House. You're listening to Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. And then what's gone absolutely off the hook is the is the bottle series, the trunk series, and then the uh, the funk the, the funk, funk series. series. Yeah, when when can we can we when can we <laughs> see some of that? We've just been teasing that for the last like, year. <laughs> that's a joke. That's a big inside joke around here, right? Oh, all those people are waiting for the funk series. Oh. We were actually joking joking about that the other day. You said, you know, what if we actually just never released a funk series beer, and the labels kept coming out, then it just becomes this legend. Like, oh man, have you, did you see the latest? Funk and then you float it, float it, like yeah. you know, Noam says, oh yeah, they, they gave me a little bit last. I week. would totally really bite amazing. on that if you guys started putting labels through that. I would. This is Sean Willingham from Municipal Brew Works in Hamilton, Ohio. You're listening to Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. Good, but a little less shatter. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Perfect. A little you know less shatter. I, w- I wish she would have been on tape. I wish she had a mic in front of her. You know what? No beer for you. Something. A little bit of fun with a couple of the brewers we've had on Cincy Brewcast. Uh, Sean Willingham from Municipal Brew Works coming your way probably sometime later. What, this, this, in a couple of months, I guess. Pretty pretty, pretty close. And, of course, Kenny McNutt. uh, We really appreciate the response everybody had uh, on our uh, two programs that we did last week. Uh, the one especially with uh, Kenny McNutt and Jeff Hunt of Mad Tree talking about the big Mad Tree uh, 2.0 expansion over to the Rock 10 uh, industrial uh, site over there in Oakley. Uh, so you know we've got we've got the we've got the news we've got the people. We had Greg Hartman and Eric, Eric Bauman tonight, and and don't miss it. Yeah. Don't miss a show. Absolutely, we have lots of great stuff, and some of the great stuff is coming right now. You know, <laughs> back on November 29th uh, of last year, uh, there was something of a debate on the Greater Cincinnati Craft Beer Society uh, Facebook page, which is run by uh, Eric Smith, and uh, and and I posted a statement that I'm going to read here in a minute. Uh, to the fact that there was some hating going on in another post criticizing people for driving to adjacent states to buy a certain beer, which will remain nameless. I, I did not comment on, the, on, the, on that post, so unfortunately I don't have uh, access to it to refer to it. Uh, but uh, there was in that post some uh, mildly vehement <coughs> criticism of people who did that type of thing and, uh, and some, some arguments on why people were quote-unquote stupid to spend their money on uh, that kind of beer, et cetera, or why people should even buy that beer. So in reaction to that, 
I wrote this post. I try never to criticize what people like or tell people how to spend their money. Our podcast focuses on Cincy beer and craft culture. We're not against national rare or whale beers, and we've done uh, Pliny, KBS, plenty of stuff from Florida, Michigan, and lots from around of Ohio. From around Ohio, I'm heading out west in a couple of weeks, and we will for sure be featuring some beers I pick up on the trip from California, Arizona, Texas, etc. There are a lot of world class. There is a lot of world class work being done by breweries across the country and that needs to be celebrated it is also well for us to remember that all beer is local somewhere gentlemen welcome to Cincy Brewcast again Eddie Shimmy and Chris Nascimento you guys were two of the more spirited respondents to that post Uh, tell us tell us Tell us what you guys thought, if you remember. I know I was able to reproduce uh, some of the uh, comments that you had on your post, and I just wanted to give you guys an opportunity to respond sort of in the way that you did that day, if you wish to. Yeah, Chris and I go back seven, eight years about, at least that. So it, it, it made it easier for us to have that debate because we do have that common respect for each other. Uh, but I would like to start out by... Uh, reading a quote and honoring Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He said, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. And that, that was the main point of my post during that. So I'll, I'll throw the ball to Chris for now. Can you hear me? Almost. Why don't you step down to this one? Sorry, I gave Chris a bad mic there. <laughs> That's all right. Can you hear me now? Yes, oh, we've good. got you now. Wonderful. So, yeah, I want to say uh, happy Martin Luther King Day. Eddie and I, we've been friends for a long time here. We've known each other for quite a while. He's a great guy. I think we probably agree on 95% of the stuff that we talk about. Yes. But, again, you know. It's okay for him to have certain opinions and for me to have certain opinions that don't mess up. And uh, we were kind of tied into uh, a bigger debate that was going on on the board, sir. Um, you know, what it was, and look, I mean, we, you know, this is the internet, and we, we can say right. what and do what we want. It was all a big discussion of, of Bourbon County Stout. Obviously, uh, Goose Said Island. You weren't going to name names. Well, Goose Island Brewery, owned and operated by <laughs> Anheuser-Busch InBev. Um, uh, we we just, didn't pay for this. Well, we just we had some on, we had some on the show last week, and it's 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 damn good beer. I mean, there's no question about that. It's damn good beer. So, what I think, Eddie, you might have been trying to say is, if it's damn good beer and you like it, it doesn't matter who makes it. Drink it. Yeah, I think my primary point was not to judge other people for their purchasing decisions. If they choose to make that decision, um, that doesn't make them a horrible person or a, a, a non-supporter of local. I'm, I'm a huge supporter of local. I love great small brewery beer. I'd say 95% of the beer I buy is from breweries that make less than 15,000 barrels a year and a lot of it less than 2,000 barrels a year. So I'm, I'm way down that rabbit hole as a consumer. Uh, but my point was not to judge other people. And also, I, I always struggle with people to say, I only buy local. Because what does local mean? How many breweries are buying their ingredients, all the raw materials local? Um, what's local to here? Is it Great Lakes that's three and a half hours away? Or is it Upland Brewery that's two and a half hours away? 
what does local mean? Where do the dollars go? The dollars don't stay local, right? They turn around and they go to international companies, whether it's through purchasing cars, computers, fuel, or your 401k. So the dollars don't stay local. So how far are you gonna go down the rabbit hole of being local only? Support local when local's good, but don't be ashamed or put other people down for buying quality product from another brewery outside of local because that helps raise, raise the, the quality level all the way around. Well, uh, again, Eddie and I, my point on it was more, it's not so much about local versus national. Uh, to me, it was more about uh, the independent craft brewer, whether local here or local elsewhere in the country, versus the larger corporations. And one of the things that a lot of people aren't aware of is some of the efforts made by larger entities that are out there. Some of the same entities that have bought up brands like Goose Island and others to limit consumer choice, not through getting our products on the shelf, but through actually efforts and legislation in various states to oppose or support certain legislation which limits it. And to me, that's a limiting thing. If you're supporting or buying that brand of beer, you're saying it's okay for that corporation to limit your choices as a consumer. And I don't want anybody speaking for me. I like the beers I like. I want to be able to drink what I like, and I don't want someone taking that away from me. Do you think, because one of the one of the laws that apparently is being uh, blocked or or opposed, I suppose, is the state of Ohio's House Bill 60, 62, I believe, the 68, uh, 68 the uh, how, the uh, increase of the alcohol by volume content here in Ohio. Um, it, 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 does a company like uh, like like Miller Coors make a statement that they, like they made back in the back late last year about uh, you know supporting the current levels because a company like AB InBev owns and and sells a beer like Bourbon County and and they know it's very popular and they know it's you know I mean wh wh what's your what's your opinion on that? Wow, I you know I have no clue why they would. Uh, have an issue with that. The sales on, on beer over 12% alcohol is going to be such a small number. It's not going to have an impact on their business overall. I fully support getting rid of any mandatory maximum level on beer in Ohio. That makes no sense at all. We don't have a, a mandatory level on wine or spirits. Why should we have it on beer? Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. So, and, and to Chris's point, I obviously don't support those moves to, to limit competition through legal means but i will say they're doing it through legal means and they're doing everything they can to protect and grow their business they're not a nameless faceless corporation they're made up individuals that are trying to feed their families and protect their investments now i think who we need to hold accountable are the lawmakers that pass those laws that make it unfair for small businesses to compete raise raise the flags i'll raise the flag with you i'll stand on the picket line with you chris uh, but it's not about not supporting those businesses just because they're doing everything they can to grow their business. But part of, part of the thing, sorry, Chris, uh, part of the thing that I think so many people love about their local beer scenes is that, that community and that collaboration and, and, and the way everybody works together and lives together and builds this bigger thing. And I think just, you know, overall, you, you do start to lose that when you start talking, you know, quote-unquote big beer, you know, be it AB or whoever it is but where's that line i don't know and that's is that's, it a volume level is that's it the question level? you know if 
if you've got if if Anheuser if we lived in St. Louis and Anheuser Busch was down the street, I I would consider them a local brewery. I might not like them as much. I, I may not like the biggest breweries that are in town, but um, that doesn't mean that they're not local. You know, it's it's. It, I, but to it's, Chris's point, it wasn't about local for him. It was about ownership and what size company correct. has the ownership. Well, and not even size, okay? I, I don't have any problems. I, again, I think to wish for some of the small independent craft breweries, we have like the Moreland Lager House here. Moreland's a wonderful brewery in Cincinnati. We've got a lot of local great brewers here. I think to wish for them to stay small forever is wrong. It's like saying that you wish your children would never grow up. And that's not what my problem is. My problem is uh, with some of the tactics taken by an ABM Bev or a Miller Coors to frankly, again, limit what consumers can get in a particular state. It's not just happened here. It's happened elsewhere, Alabama, Mississippi, where even to get beer above 5% for years, you couldn't do it. And here in Ohio, where House Bill 68 was introduced a number of years ago, it's been languishing in committee and not been voted on. And frankly, why do we have this artificial restriction in place, even if it is a small percentage of beers limiting our choices? And I'll tell you the reason why. Because there is basically efforts made by larger companies to limit those choices by influencing our legislators. And they're using money along with advice, which is not always good advice, in order to do so. The first year that this bill was introduced, the Speaker of the House was approached by both people that were interested in, well, people with substance abuse issues and by Big Beer. And they said, look, if this bill is passed, it's going to lead to cheap, high alcohol beers being made available to people with substance abuse issues and crime and substance abuse is going to crazy in Ohio. And the Speaker of the House at that time was not familiar with the different beers that were out there. He doesn't know very much about craft beer. He was concerned about that. He pulled it without any comment even from what was going to be passed. So do I have a problem with that? Absolutely. I, you know, I don't see too many people wandering around with a brown paper bag with Utopias in it. That's a pretty expensive beer. Agreed. You know, someone that's got right. issues with higher alcohol beers, which tend to be higher price beers, is overlooking the fact, too, that liquor is going to have much higher alcohol and is legally available now for people to have these issues. And cheaper. And cheaper. Way much cheaper. cheaper. But, no, I agree with those points, Chris, but it wasn't the big brewers that stopped that from happening. You know, we're, we live in this microcosm of, of beer geekdom, right, where we think everybody is, is into the beer at the same level we are and cares about it as much as we care about right. it. Because we live it, we breathe it, we talk right. about it every day. We're we make very our, passionate about it. We make our living off of it. We, we deal with it when we're not working, um, hence being here. But yes. um, it's for the, for the state lawmakers – this doesn't mean anything to them. It just doesn't hit their radar. I don't think it takes big money to keep this off the docket. I think they just, they don't see, they haven't yet seen the value. And as craft beer continues to grow in the state and more breweries open, there's going to be more voices that will make it harder for them not to hear. Well, and Andy, I, I disagree with you on that because when you look at things, even this past year, for instance, Miller Coors wrote a letter that was introduced to the committee to specifically object to raising an ABV in Ohio. And why was that done? Uh, again, they're taking the opportunity to try and influence some of the legislators. And let's, uh, members of the legislature, and let's look at all the different 
uh, members of the legislature that receive money from different uh, big beer interests. Budweiser is known. Has anybody's ever seen Beer Wars here? Has anybody seen Beer Wars? Yeah, but that was outdated when it came out. It's it was outdated, <laughs> but that still happens. There's a lot of money that's put forth uh, to influence things, such as where a lot of acres going to land on it, what they're going to vote on. Yeah, but Chris, as someone that spent six years working on the distributor side and, and almost eight years now working on the supplier side, I can tell you the, the, the number of craft be Brewers Association approved craft brewers that I've seen break the law is insane. It's at, in, in every day. Every day it happens here in the state of Ohio and it happens on the streets of Cincinnati. Partly because they don't know any better. They don't have legal teams to tell them what's legal or not legal. And partly because they just don't care. They're going to do it until they get busted. And I see them breaking the law every day. And I just, I would love for people like you to be as vehement about them breaking the law as you are about the big breweries well, but, trying to guide but, the law. But do they do they do that in part because they feel like they have to do that to compete? I, I think with, they do it in part because of ignorance and part because they have a laissez-faire attitude about it. And, Eddie, I can't say for a fact that no crepers ever broken a law. Um, I None of the crepers I know go out of the way to, to do that. They make an effort to follow the law to the T that I... As far as I know. As far as you know. As far as I know. <laughs> I, the, uh, most so I of the cases I see is ignorance, like you say. People just don't know better. And so I can see some mistakes as growing pains as new breweries start out. But that, that's not the same thing. I mean, that's really getting off topic from the fact that larger breweries. Uh, so it doesn't matter if they break the law. It only matters if they're trying to change the law and then do things legally. Uh, again, that, that's a little separate topic to what we're debating here, which is, when you're taking money and spending money on a Bourbon County Stout or a brewery, whether or not they're making good beer or not, that has been bought by a larger entity such as that, what you're doing in essence is funding the fight to keep you from our consumers having choices. And I've got a fundamental problem with that. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen anything in the state of Ohio where Anheuser-Busch has limited consumer choice. Okay. Well, again, uh, I, you know, during the process of this, Eddie, and, and this is something where it's not that I'm better or I'm or I'm seeing more things. I just had some experience, uh, whether it's on the homebrewing side of it, or whether it's being involved with certain members of the legislature, to where I had feedback uh, that they were involved, whether through Ohio Beer and Wine Association, uh, basically exerting influence to do exactly that. Limit but choice. again, you have to make a separation between trying to make certain things legal and to their advantage versus breaking the law. Those are two very different things. But what we're talking about here is why you shouldn't buy big beer. And right. and I, you know, again, as far as breaking the law, other things that's going on, I think everybody should follow the law. I'm not arguing that craft breweries or small breweries shouldn't have to follow the law because I believe they should. What I'm saying is that this opposition to limit consumer choices is a problem. And I think that, uh, again, that's my major opposition to supporting a larger brewery that corporate brewery that's limiting choices of Miller Coors that's actively opposing what we're trying to do here in Ohio which is again why do we want to limit tourism coming into the state craft beer tourism is a big thing sure and again we want our craft breweries to be able to compete with breweries in our states right now the state of Ohio is losing money Every year, because of the number of people going over Kentucky, where there's no cap on ABV, and people can buy whatever they want, we are losing thousands of dollars on that. Dropping the bucket. But, I, I again, I agree with you on the ABV cap. 
and, and yeah. again. Right, right. <laughs> I, I, listen, um, let's, let's kind of... I worked on this, and, and I wrote these things, so I'm going to read Well, we got about two, <laughs> two, two and a half hours to go, Mike, right? <laughs> we have some beer to drink here, so we listen, have time. <laughs> I wrote some statements, and I just want you guys to react, and some of them are tongue-in-cheek, some of them are a, a little bit, and, and Tina's okay. got also something that she wanted to bring up. But I've got a couple of statements here made by... They're, they're admittedly stereotypical, but I want everybody's reaction to it. Statement one is, while there are some great local beers, Cincinnati has a long way to go to measure up to some of the great craft beer cities and areas in the U.S. Places like Portland, San Diego, Colorado, and Michigan brew by and large some of the best beers in the world on a consistent basis. While I don't mind spending my money locally, and Cincinnati brewing is good to go out and drink in pints and for the occasional barrel-aged stout or porter, I'm mostly on the lookout for the better beers from some of the more famous and experienced breweries from around the country. What is your reaction to that? Well, to I'm, that I, I'm certainly not going to sit here and, and uh, place judgment <laughs> on Cincinnati versus other great beer cities. There's a lot of great beer cities, and I've, I've been lucky enough to, to spend time in a lot of them. Cincinnati's also a great beer city, and it's more than just local IPAs and barrel-aged stouts. Um, the number of breweries continues to grow about every day, right? <laughs> around yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah. Every time around. I turn around. Because like six years ago, I'd been to every brewery in Ohio. Now I haven't been to every brewery in Cincinnati. Um, so the growth is there, and that's fantastic. It's great that it continues to grow. Um, are, there, are there breweries out there that are better? Well, it depends on what you like. That's an individual preference. Um, but Cincinnati is a great beer city, and it's going to continue to be one in my eyes. Again, I think that Cincinnati here, we're a little bit younger compared to some of the cities people might traditionally think of, such as Asheville in North Carolina, or uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, or Maine, for that matter. Or Maine. Or Maine. <laughs> yeah, they're going well there, too. So I, I don't have a problem with uh, breweries in other parts of the country. I, I think the beers are wonderful. I love the opportunity here in Cincinnati to taste those beers side by side with Cincinnati beers. And I think that we're making a lot of great beer in Cincinnati. What's happened is that Cincinnati started a little late in what they're tr- doing with craft beer, but again, with our brewing legacy, our brewing history, that's exemplified here with the Moreland Lager House, or with all the new breweries that are springing up elsewhere uh, around town, there is some phenomenal beer being made here in Cincinnati, and we're seeing that expand so rapidly in such a short period of time that I think that we are one of the greatest cities in the nation as far as beer is concerned. I think we stand up to anybody. Isn't that growth part of what makes craft beer fun, though, too, to be part of a city and part of a scene and be be there and see a craft brewery, the first the first batch that, that rolls off the line, and to try that, and then to try it a year later and two years later and five years later and see how they grow and how they change and who they become. Like, You don't always have to have the best beer of your life when you pick up a beer. You just have to be drinking beer and enjoying yourself and talking to people and sharing that experience and that there, there is something to that. Well, again, uh, one of the things I want to say that's important is quality and that the fact that a beer is local should not be a substitute for the fact that it is a quality, well-made beer. Amen. So, that's an and, excellent point. And, but at the same time, we have so many quality beers being produced here in Cincinnati. The fact is of not traveling from across the country, getting handled by multiple distributors, uh, they are here in Ohio, they are here in our city, and we're getting access to them that are fresh, 
uh, and there are very some very very well made beers. I don't advocate anybody supporting a brewery or a beer that's not well made, that has serious fermentation flaws or flavor off flavors in it. I think that we've got a lot of tremendous beers right here that are actually very high quality. And again, I, I don't see any um, problem with supporting local beers. We've got more and more great breweries all the time doing great stuff. All I've, right, very good. I've, 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 Go had, I've had beer, though, from some of the best breweries in this city that was, that was subpar. And you talk to people and you see why that is and they see why that is and it it gets better like that's to me that is also part of part of the point is that 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 discussion with people and that 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 talk i guess here we're we're talking greater cincinnati so we're not talking the city but we're talking indiana we have great crescent over there northern kentucky where we've got eight ball and we're going to have Darkness Brewing coming along soon. We've got uh, Braxton Brewing doing some, some good stuff. We've got uh, other breweries that are going to be opening here soon. So in this area, you know, again, there's going to be some growing pains for some of these breweries, but they're striving to make better beer. And I think that most of them are hitting a mark. Right. And I, there's some beers that I've had here to where they absolutely blew me away. World class. I'm world telling class. you, world class. And I would put them up against any beer in the country. I'm proud to be from Cincinnati. I'm proud of the town and what we're doing with beer. Well, I just have like a little like hypothetical question that sort of goes along the the lines of that. And I think we know what we would want to say, but I'm just not sure if everybody wants to say it. I mean, it's basically, <laughs> would you rather have a an all right local beer or a really good like nationally available brand why not both right. yeah, <laughs> but if you had to choose and, and honestly i don't think you have to make that choice because i think cincinnati's come along so far that you can have a great cincinnati local beer or choose something from a uh, big beer which again the local cincinnati breweries aren't objecting to us raising the abv in the state of ohio why not support them well no but i will say over over 80 percent of the beer sold is, <coughs> is non quote-unquote craft beers here and of the non of the quote unquote craft beer, only a third of it's from Ohio, right? And it's sold again, in Ohio. So, but again, we're so part- thank God, right? Thank right. God, Bud Miller Coors exists, because thank God there's 80 percent of the beer drinkers that craft beer drinkers could go after. Because imagine if 80 percent of beer consumers were buying craft beer. Where would you get your beer drinker from? You'd have to take it from another craft brewery. Well, so again, those guys there, gave us there is tremendous opportunity for, for growth in the market, and I, I'm grateful I for that. that opportunity here. These breweries are doing well, and we haven't just we just haven't even come close to tapping the potential of Cincinnati for craft beer. I mean, there's so many great beers that are being made, and every day we're converting more people to drink good beer based on quality. Not no, because of an advertising campaign. So kind of answer Tina's question a little bit for me. And, and, and Chris, I know you're very heavily involved with kind of the homebrew community and things like that. I, you know, homebrew to me is, is, is an easier way to look at the craft beer community. I would take a mediocre homebrewed beer sitting at a table with the person that created that beer, whether it's his first batch or his 20th batch or whatever it is, and hear him talk about this and why he made it and hear that experience and see that that passion behind it over a bottle of Pliny any day. Any day. And maybe I'm weird for that, 
maybe maybe that's stupid, but I, that, it's it, it's it's bigger to me than what it's in the glass. Like it's about something else. But then it's experiential, so um, that's not that's different. it is. But that's not much different than than the Bud Miller Coors drinkers because they're is. buying based on experience as well. And 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 I don't I don't fault somebody A for drinking. Experience, but I don't fault somebody <laughs> for drinking Bud Miller Coors. I just think they don't know a better experience yet. Well, and that's part of what I have going on here. My comments on the Cincinnati uh, Beer Week, or sorry, the Cincinnati uh, Craft Beer Society page, where I think that if people are making this decision, it should be an informed decision. They should know what they're paying for and what they're supporting if they're going to go out and get one of these beers. I, you know, here in Cincinnati, you mentioned homebrewing. A lot of the Basically, the homebrewers of today are the craft brewers of tomorrow. A lot of the great breweries we have here now have grown out of someone's basement. Uh, You know, look at Mount Carmel on the east side. They're doing some wonderful things. And they basically started out out of literally Mike Dewey's house there. Fibonacci's still brewing in the basement. Fibonacci, uh, (laughs) yeah, that's, uh, and actually, you got to go. But, But, uh, you know, I'd say that if I were to, you know, and again, the definition of craft beer, I know a lot of people get wrapped up into what the uh, you know, Brewers Association says that particular definition is. But to me, I look at two different things. I would say that, you know, macro beers are an advertising campaign or marketing campaign. Craft beer is a community. And those, that's one of the things that really differentiates it to me from uh, what we what you see with uh, ABM Bev or Miller Coors. Statement number two. I like this one. <laughs> so what if Craft Brewery X got purchased by international brewing conglomerate Y in 2011 for $100 bajillion? They still make good beer. Why, the 2015 XYZ Sherry Barrel-Aged Imperial Doppelbach that Brewery X just put out is phenomenal. Why, I just did a 12-year vertical tasting of it, and after I pulled myself, off, uh, myself up off the floor and sobered up a little, I realized they hadn't changed a thing. So what's the big deal? If they brew good beer, it doesn't matter who paid for the fermenters. Well, you know, again, um, <laughs> are you enjoying being able to interact with the brewers here? Tonight we're here with Greg Hardman Absolutely. and Eric and these great beers here. Or what kind of relationship would you have if that beer were made somewhere cheaper, say China? Right. You know, I, and again, to me, I, I think that having the brewers here locally to be able to know who's making what you receive to be able to go and talk to greg hardman and eric and talk about what's been made here to talk to tom hall and some of the different brewers of merlin lawgrass or any of the local breweries i think that personal connection is very important and i i don't think it's something that should be overlooked i I agree with you chris and i I think there's a lot of drinkers in the greater cincinnati area that have been to goose island and have seen what they do and they've met the brewers they met the brewers that invented those beers they met the brewers that are brewing those beers today. So they had that experience that you were talking about, sitting down with the brewer and talking about the beer. They had that. They know the brewer. And they get to come back here and purchase that beer in Kentucky and Indiana, unfortunately, not Ohio. But they get to purchase that beer, and, and they've had that experience to exactly what you're talking about. And it's world class. And um, it, it set the standard, and it was, it was the first bourbon barrel-aged beer in the country in modern times. So when we talk about, you know, Cousin, for example, and... and they were you guys said Goose Island, Island, by the way. I didn't. You <laughs> did first. We did. Uh, it's our fault. Uh, the trademark infringement was intended. Um, but, you know, we talk about the history there where they, as an independent brewery, were making different beers. So now we talk about, okay, the name Hall, which is very well known at Goose Island. 
So now we have uh, Paul making beer at a brewery out of Chicago called Five Rabbits. Uh, again, so that connection's there, but it's no longer at Goose Island. And Eddie, I, I know some of your coworkers that have, again, worked during that period of transition that were selling the beers. And what they found is they're no longer advocating just for Goose Island's high-end beers, but they were needing to promote other beers that were in the stable of the particular, you know, ABM bev. That and it, it yeah, portfolio has changed. That portfolio changed, and <laughs> so you know that personal connection was kind of lost with that. I think. Yeah, well, I mean, um, John Hall, that you're talking about the Bruise of Five yeah. Rabbits, he's no relations to the Hall that, that founded okay. uh, Goose Island, but he did spend a lot of time brewing there. But I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because there's brewers, there's warehouse managers, there's salespeople all over the country working for craft brewers that learn their skill sets and hone their skill sets working for the big brewers. Um, one, one little brewery out in San Diego, Stone Brewery. Um, Pet Brewer Mitch, yeah. M- Mitch still, he He's honed his skills at, at Budweiser. Um, you know, it, Stone would not be what they were today without him. You, you have and, no further than to look in this building yeah. and across the river to find Richard Dubay, who yeah. began with, more, uh, with uh, rather with Molson's Budweiser. He, I think he worked for Coors for a time, so... Uh, you know that, that that's that's a that's an argument certainly that can't be overlooked as well. So. Not to mention raw material sourcing. Where would craft brewers be today if the big brewers didn't exist? Where would you get your cooperage? Where would you get your bottles? Where would you get your your grain? Where well, would actually, you get your hops? That's a very where would you, where would you get where, the distribution talk model about, was built by these breweries? So talk we about owe them some heritage for that. For instance, uh, hops. There's a hop shortage back uh, about five seven years ago. And a lot of craft breweries couldn't get the hops they needed because the different hop contracts are out there. So a certain brewery... Well, it's also because of a warehouse fire in the state of Washington, because of tornadoes in Slovenia. There, there was wasn't, a shortage. It wasn't the big right. breweries that caused the shortage. I, it wasn't, a, but there was a situation where there was a shortage. So who came big to the rescue of the, of the craft breweries? And that was a gentleman with Cincinnati origins named Jim Cook. And Jim Cook is, again, known to have Sam Adams, which is a larger beer brewery in the U.S., and what he did is he actually took hops that they had that were dedicated to go towards Boston Brewing, and he gave them to different craft breweries. He gave them, he sold them. Sold, sold them, right. Sold. Actually, and you in read, some cases, you, you read he didn't the, collect a bill on them. You read the PR them. story, and that's awesome. When we're offline, I'll tell you the backstory. It's not always as right. pretty as they release. But, uh, again, that, and that's the kind of thing... I mean, amongst craft beer, that it, I think makes a difference. Now, you mentioned too, like, I, we talked about some of the people connected with Goose Island. Who are the brewers today? I, I don't know who makes Goose Island today. Eddie, uh, you can tell us. Whenever you want to go up to Chicago, I'll set up a tour for you. It'll be okay. set up to see a. Okay. A, <laughs> yes, to see a 300,000 square foot warehouse in the city of Chicago, but, which John Hall saying, would have never been able to buy or finance. And now have that half filled with Bourbon County Stout and other Bourbon Barrel variants, and what half filled with sours. I mean, who amazing. are the brewers? I, I don't even know who they are or necessarily where it's made anymore. Yeah. Well, well, it's all made there. I okay. think that sort of on that point, um, it's it is about the personal touch. It is about knowing where your stuff's coming from. But I don't. I guess sort of my question is why does it have to be specific? To, I mean, I know we're talking about beer, but why does it have to be just beer that you feel like you need that personal connection with? As I, I mean, it, with any of your clothes, where are your clothes from, or where to like, you know, where do you get your coffee? Like, I mean, I it's sort of if you put it into a different sort of context in that way, 
Um, you know, the the argument is more. Um, it's a little bit more ridiculous, but it is also just like I don't understand like where that line is that it's like all right, this I want this out of my beer, but not necessarily other things in my life. Well, and, that, and that's actually There's something about beer. A good point, but uh, you know, as far as that, for instance, restaurants and local food, we were at the Moreland Lager House. Where else are you finding this menu throughout the U.S.? I mean, they're making food here that you can't get anywhere else. It's part of Cincinnati's identity. It's part of what makes us unique here. And so when I go out and I buy things, I can't do it in any case. Gasoline, your choice is somewhat limited. Automobiles. But well, you can ride I can, a bike. I think I can ride a bike. I, I think I, I do. I think you have to. I think you have to take it where you can get it. And one of the right now we live in a time. Thank goodness, where one of the easiest places that you can get it is with your beer. And, and right. it's, it's, it's so much easier now today to drink a local beer where you can sit across from the bar or walk actually into where they have the fermenters and, and the bright tanks and so forth, look at where your beer is coming from, knowing the person that made it, knowing the person that, that, that's serving it to you. And, and, it's, it's, so, and, and I think that's the big advantage. So there's a couple other places, restaurants. Your coffee, you can definitely go to Starbucks, but you can also go to numerous local places. Sure. That, I have a that, lot that, of favorite you know, baristas that, that, and coffee houses I go to yeah, here. I mean, day. so it, it, it's it's you know. But I mean, and that's you know, it's kind of convenient in that way, and that like beer makes it more convenient for you to be. So that and that's what you're saying. Sort of the draw is it's not necessarily that you have these standards that you have to know where all of your things are coming from. But the fact that you can know that beer, with beer is more of the draw. Beer didn't make it convenient. We made it. We made beer local. Like it was not that way for a very, very long time. Where you could do that. No, it but was, that's a great. Point. It was that connection that people have to what they're drinking that pushed craft beer. But consumers drove that choice, and that's right. what I'm a fan of. And don't misunderstand me. I, I respect Chris for his purchasing decisions, and believe he has every right to make those decisions. That's not what you said reasons. during the commercial. No, no. For whatever reasons he <laughs> believes, he has that right. In my post on the Facebook group, it really had to do with the difference between making those decisions and publicly judging someone else for making another decision. Right. And I felt like that was wrong. I support local, and I love. The, I would love local breweries to continue to grow and develop. And I do not believe there's a bubble for good to great craft beer. There is a bottleneck for distribution. That's well, a whole other discussion and probably a whole other show. Not everybody might share the, my opinion on it, but I don't, I don't think you tear down someone else so much for their decisions so much as that you inform them and share from why you're making the decisions that you are. You want people to make informed choices. But I love the idea of talking about why you're passionate about a certain brewery or a certain product without putting down somebody else's. And right. I'm not suggesting that you did, Chris, right. but there were other people within that Right, which, which was what prompted me to make my post right. to begin with. And, and you know what? That's a, and that's another thing about, about this, this social media culture. And, and that's a whole other – that's not even – right. has to do with this topic – but there's so much, uh, you know, there's so much backbiting and hatred and 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 just just quote unquote hating and all that stuff on. But enough about media. presidential politics. Yeah, or, right. or, or 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 Bengals versus Steelers. Or Bengals versus yeah. <laughs> it's not even. Listen, it's a question that you're never going to get. If if look, if you're interested, 
definitely go check out the Greater Cincinnati Craft Beer Society. And just uh, be nice to everybody. Be respectful. It's okay to disagree. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Join the discussion. Um, it's not a hard group to join. But again, be respectful, be kind, uh, and, uh, and, and compliment people on their choices. And, and, and just uh, have fun with it. I mean, beer is a thing that's supposed to be fun, guys, right? <laughs> supposed so, to enjoy beer, right? right absolutely. Uh, and and, and br- it should bring people together in, in friendship, not, not uh I would just like to mention, you talked about the Greater Cincinnati Craft Beer Society, and so that's kind of an organically grown group. Or Eric Smith put it together, and I'm, I'm one of the admins on, on the group, but... One of the things I hear about constantly from people joining a group is just how everybody is respectful and shares information and about how well people get along together. Are there ever a comment here at Aramay that might be a little harsh or negative? Sure, but have you read any of the comments under you know different articles in the newspaper later lately or a news station? I, I think that one of the things that makes it stand out, one of the things that makes Cincinnati stand out is the fact that we're able to discuss different things that we disagree with and discuss different opinions and present different things without uh, having all the you know the troll comments that, that for, some for the most have. part. For the most part, I can yes. send you some, some fun emails. Yeah. You know, I I will say just kind of a, a shameless plug. I mean, I'm I'm working for Upland Brewery out of Bloomington, Indiana, only two and a half hours away. So drink local within two and a half hours, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I have been there, and I have <laughs> drank the beer. You know, we're a small brewery, and we're, we're, in, we're going to do probably, we, I think we finished the year just around 16,000 barrels. So uh, I support small, and I, I support local and fairly local. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. So I'm not here telling anyone to go out and, and buy anybody else's beer except for Upland. Uh, but otherwise, <laughs> drink what you love and buy local for sure. And Upland is local to Bloomington. and Absolutely. Yeah. And a real incubator for Braxton. I mean, if you, yeah. that, that was where Evan Rouse got the idea that he wanted to brew beer. So yeah. you can't, it, and it, that's one of the things I like. Just on a kind of a final point, that's one of the things that I like about craft brewing and the craft beer movement is that it's really intertwined. I mean, we talked to uh, Eric Bauman tonight. We're incestuous, we like to yeah, say. Yeah, yes. we talked to Eric Bauman tonight, who <laughs> worked and for Leo, three different breweries. Yeah. And, and, and Richard Dubay worked for, you know, and, and, uh, and, and Greg Hardman worked for Varsteiner. <laughs> and Richard Dubay worked for, uh, you know, Molson's. And on you and could, on you and could on make on. just a list of people yeah, that have I come mean, out of yeah, Christian Moorline. It's, 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 it's just amazing. So that's one of the things that I think is really cool about it. Uh, listen, we're going to take a, a short break, and then we're going to be right back to wrap it up here on Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. If you can't tell us, we certainly understand, but how many other, and if you can mention to us, uh, even if you don't want to get into specifics, facilities did you guys look at before? And, and, and you, then it sounds to me like you're saying this was kind of love at first sight for the Rock 10 building. It, it was definitely a love at first sight, but there were a few other spots um, in the area that we were looking at. Uh, we, we really liked this area. We really wanted to stay here, um, so we were trying really hard to find something and uh, to try and work things out with um, 
you know, the city and the state to try and keep us here too. Um, you know, we are a very young company and we've been doing very well, but it takes a little bit of help, especially to redevelop a site like that. Once again, uh, we'd like to uh, make everybody aware that uh, to be sure to join us for our next live edition of Cincy Brewcast, emanating from about a mile up river in beautiful Bellevue, Kentucky, at 8-Ball Brewing inside the party source on Riviera Drive. We'll be in the tap room at 8-Ball on February 15, 2016, beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for our live program and our live Periscope <laughs> TV feed. We'll be joined by head brewer Mitch Darty, party source beer department manager Danny Gold, and the dean of Cincinnati Craft Beer tap rooms eight balls bar manager none other than the inimitable james peanut kales we'll talk and taste and comment on many of eight balls beers find out what makes eight ball and the beer program at the party source tick and we'll get their take on the craft beer explosion in the cincinnati area and their part in it again that's monday night january 15th 2016 8 p.m at eight ball uh, inside the party source in bellevue kentucky for another live edition of cincy brewcast the voice of Cincy Craft. We would like to thank all of our guests tonight. Eddie Shimmy, Chris Nascimento, thanks very much. It was really great to get your guys' opinions. You, you were guys. very, it's been very a pleasure to be here. Uh, you were very, very forthcoming with your commentary. And of course we owe such a debt of gratitude to uh, Mr. Greg Hardman, the owner and founder of, not the founder of Christian Moorline, but the founder of the modern Christian Moorline, and of course uh, the man, the visionary behind this incredible facility. <laughs> also, uh, Eric Bauman, the head brewer for Christian Moorline Brewing, and uh, we would be remiss if we did not uh, mention uh, one of the ma managers here, Sean Collins, who was uh, very instrumental in helping us get Jeff Geckel, also uh, was instrumental in us coming in here uh, tonight, and uh, so we are so proud to have been here at the Palace of Cincinnati Craft Beer. I carved Cincy Brewcast into the table. <laughs> so that wraps it up for us tonight. Like we thank everybody. Say something briefly. Oh, yeah, please. And I just want to mention we're talking about Cincinnati Beer here, Cincinnati Beer Week, and everybody knows it's been moved. So if you get a chance, uh, it is happening in June, Father's ah, Day yes. Week. We're going to have lots of great beers and a format for the Cincinnati Collaboration Beer has also changed. So there's actually going to be a draft. Uh, some different breweries are going to be doing some drafting, and it's going to be happening at Rheingeist on February 29th. If you go to the Cincinnati Beer Week website, you'll get some information about that. And again, it's a great celebration of all things craft beer here in Cincinnati. And we, we are efforting a show. We're, we're playing around with some ideas. We're playing around with an ideas and ideas for... <laughs> Would you like to come maybe and, and be part of that? We'd uh, like to come definitely I'd and be part of that. I'd love to talk to you about that. Yes, okay. And, so and we'll, it's open to the public. So we want the public there to, to see what's going on and be part of the experience. Again, we got a draft this year. It's not just going to be one Cincinnati collaboration beer. It's going to be five different collaboration fantastic. beers. That's fantastic. That sounds terrific. And a, and a great way to ch sort of change this C Cincinnati Beer Week, which always happened around this time of the year. Next month, it would be, be about a month away. But uh, th this We're year, we're hoping for fear of blizzards in yeah. middle June. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say also, I would like to invite everyone to join us here at Moorline Locker House on Wednesday, February 17th, as we do a beer dinner with Upland Brewing Company. Come on out and join us for a fantastic food and, and a great beer lineup. If if nobody's been to a beer dinner at Christian Moreland yet, that is one of the best events you can pay money to do Gee, in Cincinnati. That, that just that just happens to be my birthday. I actually Happy my, birthday! That just happens to be my birthday. 
Actually, every year I come here with my family for Christmas Eve. We have our dinner here. We get our beer here. Lots of great Christmas wine beers and wonderful guest taps as well. So I like Upland. Woo-woo. Yes, I'll drink to that. Tickets are, I assume tickets are, 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 are like 55 bucks, I think is what they normally are. And um, It's a bargain for sure. It, it is the biggest bargain you can find for a beer day. <laughs> all it's, paired. It, it really is all incredible. All paired, everything curated. Yeah. They, their food is, is fantastic. Sign up for that. I don't want to fade away to nothing. We'll do. No, no <laughs> definitely not. No. We'll make sure we get both of those on the uh, Cincy Brewcast website, www.cincybrewcast.com, and we'll also make sure that we promote that way in advance. And we'll have you guys on again and talk about all that stuff. I think it'd be that great. great. Thank you. All right, back. sounds good. Cheers. All right, listen. The Gnarly Gnome at the gnarlygnome.com. Absolutely, thank you. Tina Cisneros at the Overlook Lodge. Yep, Pleasant Ridge. Next Tuesday. Oh, this Tuesday. This Tuesday, tomorrow this night. Tuesday, sports, sports trivia. trivia. Next Tuesday, Stephen King trivia. I'll be your friendly host for all of those. My name is Mike Cisneros. You've been listening to Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Crabs.